This podcast is supported by Mercury Gate International Inc., a global provider of cloud-based enterprise transportation management software that allows shippers and service providers to supercharge their business. The Mercury Gate TMS delivers transportation planning and execution, load optimization, global shipment tracking, and performance analysis of involved parties. Mercury Gate enables your business to be smarter, stronger, faster, better than the competition by supporting all modes of transportation and handling multimodal, multi-leg, global transportation requirements door-to-door. TMS that delivers. www.mercurygate.com. Now, on to the podcast. It's an old idea made new. A Ukrainian-born entrepreneur wants to bring back airships, this time for carrying cargo. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. This is no traditional blimp. It's a high-tech vehicle with a rigid structure and capacity of up to 250 tons of cargo. It's called the Arrows Craft, and when it goes into service, it'll have a cruising speed of more than 100 miles per hour, fly at altitudes of up to 12,000 feet with a range of more than 5,000 nautical miles, and be able to vertically take off and land virtually anywhere. The brains behind the craft is Igor Pasternak, CEO of Eros. He joins me on this episode to talk about the genesis of the project, what it'll take to get it off the ground, and how it might impact cargo transportation in the future. A prototype has already been launched, and he says he's well on his way to raising the $3 billion that he needs to make his dream a reality. So here is my conversation with Igor Pasternak. Igor Pasternak, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Would you describe for me the genesis of the idea for the Aeroscraft, please? Uh, it's very simple and a little bit complicated at the same time. The, the vision, the idea, its ability to utilize air as the ocean, what is connected to everything, the sports everywhere. It's not the word to create new logistical system, new distributional system that allowed us to move anything from anywhere and deliver it anywhere. Well, where did you get the idea? When did it first come to you? A little bit less than 100 years. Basically, the air, uh, the, the air ships is what you do call my life. It's, uh, it <laughs> kind of, uh, doing this when I was really young and was always fascinated with a unique, uh, kind of unique, good-looking uh, Aircraft what can really move uh, the cargo around. My understanding is that the actual development of the craft goes back to about 1996, right? Is that correct? Yeah, it's correct. It's about 96. Uh, it's when we start realizing. We basically was able to answer for a simple question. 
if cargo airships this so good where they are why we and we i mean the engineering community around the globe never was able to create cargo airship did you know right away that you wanted to uh design a rigid airship as opposed to a traditional blimp whose shape is determined by the uh, the atmosphere inside it yes it was right away it was right away but right away was coming from our experience, uh, from our company experience, because we built non-vegetarian ships, we certify them with good year blame, and so we're selling them around the world, and we clearly was understanding right from the beginning, it must be rigid, because non-rigid simply not going to work for cargo application. Well, why not? Why would it not work for cargo? I, can you imagine if I'm moving uh, 250 tons, and I got simply inflatable back on the top of me. And I got some damage on this back. And I am located somewhere in the middle of the Africa. Mm-hmm. I never can repair. I'm going to face a complete uh, disassembly. And of course, same time, when we're talking about cargo, we're talking about ability to do maintenance in flight because these vehicles will fly for 20, 40 hours. It's a ship in the air. You need a rigid approach to allow to build very big cargo compartment, to allow uh, to do the maintenance from inside, to install engine. And pro- I think the most easy, uh, easy example probably will be, I mean, Less than uh, 50 years ago, we were still building the airplane where the wings was covered with fabric. But uh, we're probably not going to try to build 737 with fabric wings anymore. Now, uh, as I understand it also, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but you first started thinking about this when you were in your native Ukraine, then came to the United States and started developing it, he started developing it here. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, did you initially get uh, seeded by uh, D- Department of Defense uh, money, right? Were they the first to step up with some with some funds for this? Not really. My story is a little bit more boring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more boring. In reality, yes, I was lucky one who was after, right, after college back in the Soviet Union. I was uh, able to create the company and start working on this. And of course, when uh, it was complete collapse, there was no way to continue to work in Ukraine and the rest of the Soviet Union. It was kind of decision to move to the United States as only one country where this kind of project can be achieved. But I was got my moments when I arrived here without English and and back there, I was doesn't know how to spell Department of Defense. It was more kind of vision of the right country to do this stuff. But we started with commercial before we was picked up by Department of Defense. It was took for us a couple of years. But certainly the military did see that there were some potential military applications for this craft, given its ability to take off and land in areas that are not accessible by, uh, by planes that require runways. Right. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And in my memory, it's uh, 94, 95, uh, when we were just making few steps in the uh, United States, this was a uh, big, uh, big push from the Department of Defense to develop cargo airship. Because after the first Gulf, uh, Gulf War, 
they left so much equipment in the desert. Billions and billions of dollars we was never able to bring back to continental United States. And uh, we was spent one year to build up, in uh, almost a year, to build up our forces. I mean, the Department of Defense realized logistics is critical. It's a critical way for us to continue project power and uh, defend the U.S. national interest. But from another side, because it's the responsibility of the Department of Defense to participate in disaster relief missions, like Haiti, for example, or uh, recent events in Thailand and, and Malaysia. Without this kind of vehicle, we cannot do this. We cannot deliver it, we cannot save the, the lives. But you also were convinced from the very start, were you not, that there were definite commercial applications to this as well? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Because we've heard reports also that uh, the idea that this would be some kind of a luxury liner for passengers. Do you see that as well, or is this pretty strictly a, a cargo type of venture? Yes, it will be. It will be crucial for passengers. But cruise for passengers will be developed from the cargo vehicles line. Mm-hmm. It's, in some way, whatever we're doing is really uh, similar to the cargo ships. Yeah, we can see the carnival ship in the ocean. But majority, we see, of course, the ships was moving the container. But the idea of the flying, the idea of the flying and same uh, flying tour, when we can spend a couple days, couple weeks, Flying on 300 feet altitude uh, over the Eiffel Tower, uh, uh, this idea unstoppable. Yes, it's definitely will happen. So you set out, as I understand it, as your first step to build a prototype, which I believe was called the Pelican. Didn't actually carry a payload per se, right? I mean, that was just a demonstration model. What was the idea behind a, a smaller craft of, of that size? You, you're right. It was a very limited payload. It's about 10,000 pounds. It's, I mean, technically, it was not the payload. And this vehicle was not designed to carry any of payload. Uh, the idea of the vehicle was to put all technology together, the survey working, to demonstrate integrated vehicle. Uh, it's a little bit like uh, original idea. It was a little bit like Wright Brothers. Yes. Uh, when they put the, put the wings and engine and was able to make the fly to establish, yes, now it's uh, possible. But we was moving a little bit more outside of just technology demonstration. It was proof of design. All elements on this vehicle was size of the elements for 66 ton. Some system was designed for 66 ton vehicle. We basically was making it one more step Outside of the first flight of the uh, Red Bull Brothers, the proof of design. We created the manufacturing technique, we were understanding how to operate, how to build the software, a lot of, a lot of uh, risk reduction for a uh, 66-ton vehicle. So, but you're, you're contemplating two models from the start, right? A 66-ton and a 250-ton. Is that the way you're thinking? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and here's the reason. 66 ton, it's more vehicle, more this application, more like the government application, military application, disaster relief, or project cargo. It's when you need to move something uh, ugly, heavy, and bulky to area 
bueno infrastructure or something that is not fit on the road or not fit on the on the bridges. It can be oil tower, it can be generator, it can be house, it can be wind blades for wind turbine. And 250 ton, it's already general cargo. It's the vehicle that moving the containers. Mm-hmm. With containers, with goods, with uh, this product, these packages, and 250 ton vehicle is flying very house. Yeah. But although, although not just moving uh, the containers, uh, because we're not coming to the port, we deliver it to final destination, we're avoiding the very housing system. So the length of these craft is what? The two the two models. Well, they're pretty big. Uh, uh, everything what we're doing here is big. Yes, sixty-six tons, about five hundred feet long, and uh, two fifty over seven hundred, almost eight. And the Pelican, the prototype, was only about two hundred and fifty, two sixty. Yeah, it's two hundred fifty. Yeah, two hundred fifty, two hundred sixty. It's half size of the sixty-six ton vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did that go? How did the first uh, first launch of the Pelican go? Did it go come off without a hitch? Did it meet all your expectations? And a little bit more. Yeah, it's meeting all the expectations. And some stuff, uh, I was really surprised. We realized uh, we realized some system was over designed. And uh, we was uh, I mean we we was got a lot of positive lessons. Yeah. But of course, uh, engineering data collection is very important. But the moment when first time you're flying, that's emotional. Now, when you design something like this from the ground up, something brand new, it's never as smooth as you'd like it to be from the start. Have you experienced any major setbacks so far in the design and development of this craft? Oh, of course, of course. Of what, course. what would be some of those that uh, that you kind of had to deal with? Some of the stuff was significantly changed. Yes. Uh, I give you an example here when we start uh, initial engineering and build some system, structural system on this prototype. We realized a couple structural elements was simply not working. Uh, outside of computer models was demonstrating we was designed them right, uh, but uh, when we start doing the test, they was not working and we was need to go back to design drawing and completely design them. Mm-hmm. So we was got during the flight preparation. We was got the events, and then we was got the crash of the overall software on the vehicle. We was need to go and figuring out why it's crash, and it was delayed for good three weeks uh, initial flight until we was able to almost rebuild. I mean, it's absolutely normal process. I want to take a moment to tell you about MercuryGate International, Inc., a global provider of cloud-based enterprise transportation management software that empowers shippers, 3PLs, freight brokers, and freight forwarders to supercharge their business. 300 customers worldwide use the MercuryGate TMS every day to plan and execute their transportation, optimize loads across customers, track and trace their shipments, and analyze the performance of all parties involved. The MercuryGate TMS supports global multi-leg shipments using any mode, including parcel, LTL, truckload, ocean, air, rail, and intermodal, from point of origin to point of destination. 
MercuryGate delivers software-as-a-service and on-premise TMS solutions that can be configured to meet the unique business processes and workflows of shippers and logistics service providers, allowing execution of the most demanding freight movements. MercuryGate's single-platform TMS can be accessed with any web browser across the globe and allows for localization and personalization, as well as easy ERP, WMS, carrier, and customer network integration to tie together and strengthen your supply chain. TMS that delivers. www.mercurygate.com Now, back to the show. Now, I know we can't get too technical here, but I think one of the interesting points about this craft is is the way that you address the issue of how to take off and land, and that is the use of a so-called variable buoyancy system, which involves, as I understand it, again, I'm not an engineer by any means, but the transfer of helium from one chamber to another to the extent that the helium then acts upon the craft to make it either rise or fall. I, I'm not sure exactly how that works, but is that a brand new concept? Or did you draw on on old technology for any of that, or is this basically all new stuff, all new ideas to make this work? It's very, very old and very, very new. And when we're talking about old, it's submarine. Submarine built on this way. If you look on the submarine, uh, submarine changing the variable buoyancy, changing the buoyancy, it's putting water on board, going deeply or uh, using compressed uh, air and push water uh, out from the ballast tank and going up. From this standpoint, as idea is very, very old. You just um, grab the submarine principles and put them there. From airship standpoint, it's, it's completely new because no one before us was believed it's possible. People simply simply was not trying to achieve this, because kind of common sense was saying to them it's just simply impossible. And what the system did, it's create cargo airship. It's now, now because of the Pelican, because of flight of our prototype and demonstration, this technology working, now, uh, now the cargo airship become possible. Without the system, the dream of the cargo vehicles, cargo airship, this was just fantasy. Simple fantasy, not the dream. Have you worked out the economics of this craft? First of all, what do you what what, what what's one of them going to cost to purchase or build? I mean, when we're looking at these uh, vehicles, and people are usually trying to compare them with fixed wing airplanes, uh, we're trying to present saying it's one third principle. The cost of the vehicle is only thirty three percent of the cost of the fixed wing. The airplane the same. You say, th- I'm sorry, 30% of the cost of fixed wing, the, did you say? Yeah, yes, yes, 30%. Really? The, the operational cost, same 30%. And life cycle cost, same 30%. It's all 30%, 30%, 30%. When we're talking about vehicles, uh, class of the 66 ton, as we're going to bigger, like 250, we're reaching 25%, and... Uh, yeah, and uh, calculation. So if we go on largest size vehicle in the future, maybe not the nearest future, like one million pound cargo, we probably will be achieved twenty percent and below. So what does that translate in terms of how much it would cost to move a ton of cargo, or, or how, how competitive would you be with other modes in terms of just basic freight rates? Uh, I'll give you the example. Yeah, two hundred fifty ton. 
competitive uh, competitive these trucks. Uh, basically, it's, it's about 16 cent uh, for the, I don't uh, between 14 to 18 cent per ton mile. It's the cost of the truck on the U.S. roads. But if we added it, uh, we don't need the freeway. We don't need to build freeway. And if we look complete uh, transportational system by trucks or by aircraft, 250 tons become cheaper than truck. And of course, environmental footprint uh, much less and uh, more flexibility. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about cost of the trucks. They never will be competitive with ocean. Ocean always will be very, very cheap. It's just law of physics you cannot uh, overcome this or uh, rail, but be competitive with trucks. What about transit time? Uh, compared with trucks, it's perhaps sometimes faster. No, not sometimes. It's always faster. First of all, we're flying by air. It's maybe going point to point. You know, we're flying 150, 150 miles per hour max. Well, let's say 100 miles per hour on cruise speed. What elevation would these craft be flying at, and would they pose any type of a of an air traffic control challenge to traditional uh, aircraft? No, not at all, because uh, the operational altitude uh, between uh, six to 12,000 feet, and the cruise altitude is about uh, 10, 9,000, 8,000 feet. You basically aboard the general aviation, so you aboard the helicopters and uh, small airplanes, but you're much, much below the commercial aviation, uh, flying on 30,000 feet. And the range of one of these craft? Are we talking about something that could go across country or even across an ocean? What do you think is the, the ideal uh, range? Uh, 66 ton with full payload. Uh, it's been, it's been, I got completed my 66 ton of the cargo. I'm achieving the vertical takeoff and I'm flying on 3,000 nautical miles. The 250 ton vehicle able to fly 6,000 miles. With full payload. Basically, you got the vehicle that can reach any point in the world. We're not just talking about the cross the Atlantic or Pacific or go from coast to coast. With reduction of payload, I can literally achieve my 12,000 miles on any point in the world. Yes, it's take longer. It probably will take six days to cover 12,000 miles, but I'm much, much, much faster than ships. Uh, I want to quickly ask you, you've rebranded the company. The name of the company is now Aeroscraft. It was originally, what, Worldwide Aeros? Yeah, and then right. you've, you've kind of uh, created several subsidiaries. What was behind the uh, the decision to do this corporate reorganization, rebranding effort? Well, Aeroscraft, uh, we're just trying to establish all the company concentrating. Uh, well, we got our standard product, but uh, the Aeroscraft, it's the name of the, our vehicle. We're trying to bring the the vehicle. At the same time, restructuring of the company, the restructure company for for bring aircraft to to operation. We create the operational division. We create the logistical division. We basically building the company, but will be able to switch from research and development and smoothly added operational and logistical service for the customers.
By the way, I've heard that there that we are facing a worldwide shortage of helium. Is that true? And if so, does that provide a challenge to you in terms of scaling up uh, to entire fleets of these crafts? Not really. Not really the true. We got more helium available. Uh, it's a little bit rumors and rumors based on uh, on the U.S. Uh, national uh, reserve of the helium because it will start uh, selling uh, out. But uh, it's a lot of uh, a lot of factories around the world who is right now not in the uh, full production of the helium because it's not enough demand. And of course, if you're looking from percentage of the use, we're not big uh, with all this big vehicle. We're not really significant uh, consumer of the helium compared to this medical industry or uh, electronic industry. They're the biggest consumer of the helium. Now, I understand you're looking for $3 billion in order to get this project uh, completed. How close are you? How far along are you, uh, are you toward, toward reaching that goal? Yeah, the $3 billion, it's not the amount of the money that need to complete the project. The trillion, uh, $3 trillion is the, our estimate total of creating the fleet, the infrastructure, everything. And we're talking about fleet of vehicles. But of course, as, uh, we're basically going to kind of milestone. We're starting with two vehicles and uh, editing. And of course, these two vehicles already will be operational, so produce the profit. It's not, uh, when we're saying $3 billion, it's dominant investment, it's total capital uh, to create the asset, uh, the total asset of the 22 vehicles. Where we are, as uh, right now, we're moving, uh, we're building the 66 ton, what we're building, we're building the um, all-first article system for testing on the 66 ton. We're constantly looking to find the money for to achieve next milestones. Next milestone when the uh, until uh, let me put this way for the next twelve months for the next twelve months we cover financially, but of course after twelve months uh, next twelve months milestone yes we continue looking for additional funding. Where do you expect uh, most of that funding to come from? We're working on many different directions, and I mean all the classical all the classical uh, rules as customers it's partners. It's the banking community, as we've done this before. Yeah. And of course, you, uh, you probably notice we start to prepare the private placement offering. A lot of, a lot of options. But of course, I always, in my view, the best source of the money is my customer. So just in terms of your ultimate timetable, what would you hope would be the date at which I or anyone could else, could, else could look up into the sky and see these, these craft in regular operation, regular commercial cargo operation? What, what year or how far ahead in the future is that? Ability to make the miracles, I'll be saying five years. I got the ability to make miracles, but I'm not sure how strong my ability this time. But as we discussed with you before, yes, when you're developing something new, you prepare for setbacks, you prepare for problems, you prepare for some challenges that can a little bit uh, change your assumptions. Well, it sounds like and looks like a fascinating project. Uh, so, Igor Pasternak, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your work and development on the Aeroscraft. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
before we go, a final word from our sponsor, Mercury Gate International Inc., a global provider of cloud-based enterprise transportation management software that allows shippers and service providers to supercharge their business. The Mercury Gate TMS delivers transportation planning and execution, load optimization, global shipment tracking, and performance analysis of involved parties. Mercury Gate enables your business to be smarter, stronger, faster, better than the competition by supporting all modes of transportation and handling multimodal, multi-leg, global transportation requirements door-to-door. TMS that delivers. www.mercurygate.com Well, that was my conversation with Igor Pasternak, CEO of Eros, talking about the development of the Aeroscraft cargo airship. Watch the skies. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. And don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Just search for Supply Chain Brain. See you next time.